We are in a, um, we're in a series on uh, Jesus Christ, which is like the best thing, to, he's the best one to preach on. So like uh, Kevin tells me, hey, why don't you just tell us who Jesus is? And I'm like, oh, okay, that narrows it down. That narrows it down a lot. Um, yeah, so uh, we talked about in the series so far, Kevin started us off and he talked about how Jesus is the all-powerful creator. Um, we're all created in God's image and that really gives him every right to be our Lord. Um, if you think about it, like he made us, he rules over this earth, he's the sovereign one, it, it, it's, uh, he's everything to us. And then uh, Jesus is also our savior, right? And he's the very God who humbled himself and died on the cross for us and he redeemed us, right? And that makes us, that makes him our Lord as well, right? He's redeemed us. Not only has he made me, but he's redeemed me, okay? And so my relationship to him, he's the Lord. He's the one in charge, okay? And I'm, the, I'm his servant. I'm, I'm the one who is um, to follow. And then uh, we talked about uh, last week how Jesus is the only judge of right and wrong, um, that all our relationships, right, whether it's the government, whether it's employers, whether it's... Um, Whatever, whatever relationship you could have, Jesus is the one, and because of him, we obey, right? If he says to obey your parents, you obey, not, not necessarily because your parents are the smartest people in the world, okay? Especially if you're a teenager, you're never going to believe that, uh, but because Jesus told us to, and because he's the one who knows what's right for me, he's the one who knows what I should be doing, and so it's been a sweet series so far, I think, um, and all of that is incredibly true. But I, wanna, I, want you, I want us to recognize something. It's not, just, it's not just that Jesus is the Lord, right? And he is. He is the Lord, of course. In, in the sense of master, right? When we say that word, it's the idea of master, that we're the, we're the ones who obey. He's the one in charge. But I want to I tell you, he's the best Lord. He's the best Lord. Um, you're gonna be, we're going to be ruled by something. I don't know if you know that. But biblically, that's how God's made us to work, Okay? Um, we're going to be ruled by something or someone. Some of us are going to let our flesh rule us, and we're going to be selfish. Um, we've talked about that. We would be our own Lord. Uh, it could be we're going to let something out in the world rule us. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go with the flow and be cool, or we're going to join this group and do whatever that group says, or whatever it is, we're, gonna, we're just going to go with the world. Or it could be the enemy, that the enemy that Satan himself and his, and his demons and his world system would rule us through fear, false religion, lies, and deceit, right? That could, we could give ourselves over to be that, Lord. And so I would say logically, given the choices, Jesus is the best Lord, okay? It's logical. But there's more to be believed than that, okay? Not, not just that he's the best Lord, right? That, well, compared to all the other options, I guess he's the best one. I want to ask you, do you believe that he's your best Lord, right? That he's our best Lord, that he's the best Lord for me, and he's the best Lord for you? Because sometimes as Christians, we can walk around going, well, I kind of wish I could follow the world, but I guess I got to follow this Jesus guy. Surely none of us, some of you are like, I've never had that thought. Yeah. Um, Right? Or we act like, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I could make this decision differently. And I, I want to tell us that, um, I want to remind myself really all week I've been doing this, Jesus is the best Lord for me. 
I am not the best Lord for me. Someone else is not. The, what's cool is not. What's popular is not. What everybody else wants to do is not the best Lord for me. That stuff's bad for me, in fact. But Jesus is the best Lord for me in every single sense of the word. Are you depressed? He's the best Lord for you. Are you overwhelmed? Still the best Lord for you. Are you grieving? He's the best Lord for you. Are you needy or poor or lost or complacent or lonely? He's the best Lord for you. Do you think you're awesome? Even though you might not recognize it, he's still the best Lord for you. Do you think you're better than everyone else? He's definitely the best Lord for you. All right, you see, wherever we're at, whatever's going on, he, he is, he's the best Lord. Like, we don't, we don't think of him as some, as some uh, person with a whip that says, oh, we got to obey, we got to obey. We don't think of him as a, a killjoy in the sky that, oh, my life would be so fun, except I'm a Christian. We, that's not who he is. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, uh, Jesus is our rightful Lord, and he's the Lord we need but he's also the best Lord we could ever want or imagine, right? He's the best Lord we could want or imagine. And I want to try to prove that to you a little bit um, this morning. So John chapter 13, let me give you a little bit of context. Um, So basically the topic this morning is the bestness of Jesus, okay? The bestness, whatever you want to call it, the bestness of Jesus. And given that topic, I probably literally could have gone anywhere in the Bible, right? Anywhere. I mean, like, you could find it anywhere. And so Kevin gives me this topic, and you just sit there, and you go, well, where am I going to go? Like, where am I going to go? Like, I can't preach through the whole Bible, right, in one sermon. And so I thought about John, um, mainly because this is one of the, John 13 to 17 is one of the most intimate pictures we get of Jesus's care for his disciples, right? Um, It's one of the most, it's the culmination of what John's been writing, and we're going to go over. Uh, we're only going to go over four pictures of Jesus' greatness or bestness this morning. But I'd encourage you. Uh, these last chapters of the Book of John are a great place to be. If you don't have anything you're reading right now, or if you want to know your Savior better, if you want to know His love for you and and His care for you, these are the places to be. Um, this is a great a great place to start. Um, and so John spins first twelve chapters of his gospel coming up to um, the triumphal entry, coming up to Jesus entering Jerusalem, the last week of his life, okay? He spends one chapter, so he's he's slowing down. So we got three years, 12 chapters. We have one chapter for six days. And then in these chapters, 13 to 19, we're going to slow down to about 18 hours of Jesus' life, right? He's going to spend the bulk of his gospel on this, Okay, and so John is pointing us to this as not, not just the culmination of Jesus' ministry, which is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John view the Passion Week as, but it's really the climax of Jesus' interaction with his disciples. Right? It's the climax of it. Jesus says, I, ha- I have to tell you these things before the crucifixion, before I'm going to go to the cross. Okay? Would you guys stand in honor of God's word, and we'll read starting in John 13. We're going to read five chapters. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to read... <laughs> We're going to read 1 to 5, and we'll skip around from there. Um, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You all pray with me. God, uh, I want to I believe in my own heart every day, every moment, that Jesus is the best Lord for me, that he, he loves me and cares for me and has my best in mind and knows. And, and all these things, God, remind us today. Um, God, I won't, I won't do it justice. And yet in our hearts, by your Spirit, you can cause us to love Christ more and more and to love the fact that he is Lord over us. So God, do that work today. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so, uh, Jesus is the best Lord. Uh, point number one, if you're a note taker, which I encourage you to be. Jesus is the best Lord because he's the Lord who washes our feet. He's the Lord who washes our feet. Uh, some of you have heard this passage before. If you haven't, it's incredible. But basically, Jesus comes to the Last Supper, to the night he's going to be betrayed and arrested, and the day before he's going to be crucified. And they're going to have a Passover meal. And he's there with him and his disciples. And he takes the job of the slave. Right? This is the slave's job. This, this is the job of the lowliest of low. This is, I mean, this is gross. Some of you have a gross thing with feet anyway, but like we're talking, we're talking dusty streets, open sewers running down the streets. We're talking just, it was a thing where when someone came into your home, you had to wash their feet because it was gross. And who knows what the disciples were doing, but Jesus takes the cloth and wraps it around himself and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Look at what it says. Uh, So now Jesus loved, look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. You know whose feet he washed? He washed Judas' feet. What kind of Lord? Right? If I'm the one in charge, and I know, and I know what's going to happen, and I know someone's going to betray me, what kind of Lord still kneels and washes his feet? I want to tell you, Jesus was loyal to Judas, even though Judas was not loyal to him, right? This is the kind of master we have. This is the kind of Lord that Jesus is. Even for Judas, he did this. I wouldn't do that. I mean, let's just be honest, right? I wouldn't do it. Look down. Two, during the supper, Judas, verse three, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So he knows he's about to die. Right? I can be around my house just feeling like I have a cold coming on, and I want the sympathy for me. Right? Some of you men, you know where I'm at. Right? Right? You, like, we, like, there's this thing where of all moments, where, I mean, Jesus is facing death. He, he, he's about to, and he knows it, and he knows where he's come from, and he knows where he's going, but he knows what's in between and yet, it doesn't stop him from putting the towel around his waist, serving his disciples. An unselfish Lord. You guys get that? 
Sometimes when we think about a lord or a master, like we think of American slavery or servant, servanthood or whatever it is, and, or being a maid or being whatever it is, but, but think about this. This lord is unselfish. There's not a selfish bone in his body. There's not a selfish thought in his mind. And this is the Lord I get to have. I don't have to worry about him considering himself over me. He's already proven that he's not going to do that. He's unselfish. Look down again, verse 4. He rose up from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Verse 5. Then he poured into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then he has this back and forth with Simon, which we don't have time for right now, but it's great. Um, Look down, verse 10. Jesus said, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean now, but not every one of you. Sorry, that's not what I wanted to read. Oh, yeah. Verse 7, Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but after you will understand. It's this idea where he says, uh, verse, te- verse 12, he's teaching them. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. And when you think of a Lord, a master, the one in charge, they don't often set the example. Right? They tell people what to do. Right? They don't, they don't, they don't, you're not going to find the CEO of the company go up and say, here, let me, let me show you how to, Mr. Custodian, let me show you how to clean this toilet. I'll set an example for you. What would the CEO say? Well, that's below my pay grade. Not our Lord. He sets an example for us. This is the best kind of Lord to have. This is not, when I think of Jesus and the fact that I am to obey him, right? Right, we, we think this that's what this whole series has been about. That yeah, we think of Jesus and we think of him as our savior, our redeemer, all this great stuff. But we're also to obey him, right? He is our Lord, no one else, not me, not the world, not any He is our Lord, He is to be obeyed. That is part and parcel with salvation, right? That Jesus said in, in Colossians it says that they received Jesus as Lord. That they knew when they were receiving Christ that it meant that he is their Lord and their Savior. But when we think about that, don't think about it like the world. Right? Don't think about it like, oh, well, we got this master, you know, I got to do what he says. He's the one who washes our feet. It's pretty amazing. Uh, point number two, look down at John 14. He's the one who prepares. We have a Lord who prepares a place for us. A Lord who prepares a place for us. Look down at John chapter 14. I could just read this whole, it's wonderful. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go, or sorry, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The Lord prepares a place for us. You guys get how reversed this is? What is the servant's job? To prepare a place for the Lord, right? But that, that's the servant's job, is that I would be preparing things for my man, that I'd be doing what he tells me to do. And yet here, Jesus comforts his disciples, and he prepares a place for them. Look down, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So he's just told them, I'm going, I'm leaving. And he's a comforting Lord. 
I don't know how many of you have ever had a boss that you could say was comforting, right? How many of you are a boss that is comforting, right? Our Lord is comforting, right? He doesn't look at, he doesn't look at us and say, suck it up. Right? He looks at his disciples and says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Um, he comforts his servants. You get, get how bad, like, like in the ancient world, it was backwards. All that he was doing was backwards. Where the Lord would comfort his servants and say, don't be troubled. That's incredible to me. And then look. He goes to prepare a place for them. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's servant's work. (laughs) Preparing the place is what the servant does, not what the Lord does. And yet our Lord is saying, I have a place for you. I mean, there were servants in ancient days that slept wherever they, on the streets, that had to wait outside the door, that were in the state. Like, But the fact that the master would say, oh no, I've prepared a place. I got a room for you. Even though you're my servant, even though I am the Lord, I am the one that's above you and you need to obey, all that is true. And yet the Lord of the house says, I have a place for you. And I prepared it in advance. And I've, I've, I've made the bed. I've made sure the room has what you need. I've made sure that we have a place at the table for you. It's incredible. A Lord who would prepare a place for us. Not only that, look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You get that? It's not just that he's prepared a room and then he says, okay, go sleep up there and get your work done. He says, I want you to be with me. I'm going to come and get you to make sure you get there. When we sit at the table, we're going to sit together at the table. Again, like this is backwards. You don't see like, so I, I mean, I think one of, the, one of the last things of monarchy that we can think about is, is in England, right? And we look, it's not, there, it's the guy, there's the guys that stand there, right? They just stand there. You don't see the queen pull up, open her door, and says, Hey, hop in. We're having dinner. Come on. And the guy just stands there. I'm not supposed to do that. But you know, like, the people waiting on her. She didn't say, hey I, hey, I made sure we set a place for you too. Yeah, finish waiting, but then come sit with me. Jesus says, I'm going to take you to be where I am. That's great. That's great hope right there. I, would, I wouldn't get there if I had to get there myself. You guys realize that, right? Like, if we had to do this ourselves, we couldn't make it. We, would, we wouldn't make it there. And yet, our Lord has prepared a place for us. I mean, I could just, we could just keep going. Uh, the Lord who prepares a place for us. Look at chapter 15, verse 12. Again, we could have gone through this whole section and stopped on every verse, but I'm just trying to pick out the highlights. So we have Lord who washes our feet, the Lord who prepares a place for us, we have a Lord who calls us friends. Look down at chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He calls us friends. I mean, what are we talking about here? Right? How could he call us friends? Like, uh, uh, and look, look what he says. So verse, tw- verse 12, I command you to love one another. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. What is Jesus going to do 12 hours from now? He's going to die. He's going to die. And he's not going to die just, just for people, just, just well, I, you know, they needed me, so I died for them. Do you think that? I, like it was, it was, Jesus wasn't like, well, those dirty people, I got to take care of them, so I'll do it. No, he says, I laid down my life for my friends. I laid down my life for my friends. This is the relationship that the God of the universe wants to have with us. And he did it at the price of his son. And Jesus says, I'll lay down my life for my friends. Not just, I don't just lay down my life for some servants who needed me. Like, I lay down my life for my friends. He does so out of the highest love, right? Greater love has no one than this. It's not, it's not just this, like, stoic, uh, this, like, this, this thing where, like, well, I guess I got to do it, like I've said. But it, it's out of familial, sacrificial love, right? Think about our sheriff's officers and our deputies and people like that. Um, they, might, they might take a bullet for you someday, right? They might take a bullet for you someday, and you're just some nobody, which is great. But they would, but, but they would definitely and quickly and every single time take a bullet for their spouse, Every time, right? Over and over again, if need be, okay? And so I'm not, I'm not saying, like, both are good, of course, but I'm saying Jesus loves us like family, right? Not just like some random people. And then he's taken us into his counsel. Look down, look down again, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus has taken us into his counsel. We're not, we're not like mindless slaves, right? His directions aren't meaningless to us, right? It's not that, well, you know, go, go clean something. Like, it's not busy work, right? Jesus isn't just saying, well, I guess I'm your Lord, so I guess I better give you some stuff to do. No, he's taken us into his counsel, right? He said, hey, come, I, I'm not, understand what's going on. You guys understand how backwards this is still? Right? The Queen of England, again, because we can relate to it, doesn't, doesn't go to the waiter and say, hey, we're talking about World War III over here. Would you come and, would you come and give your input? I really I want to explain to you what's going on here. She doesn't stop at the soldiers that are doing the thing as she's walking up and say, you know, I had a question for you about, you know, about, about all this stuff that's going on. What do you think of the vaccine and whatnot? And yet our Lord lets us in on everything. Lets us in on everything. He says, you, 
I want you to know what's going on. I want you to know that the Father wants to use you. I want you to know that the Father loves you. I want you to know that God has a reason for you to be in the very place that you're at. Again, whether that's depressed or lonely or, or struggling with pride and needing to be humbled, whatever it is that's going on, Jesus says, uh, I want you to know what's going on here. I want to help you. Okay? All that would be enough, and we could go over 10,000 other passages, but I want you to flip back to John 13, 1. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. That word, the end, that, that, that concept in the Gospel of John is very important uh, because it means all the way. It means, it means until it's accomplished. It means until it's perfectly set. It, it's in stone. It's done, signed off. We're done here. And it says, Jesus, knowing that his death was coming by crucifixion, knowing that the Father would turn his back out of the wrath and as the wrath, of, as the wrath stored up for us, was poured out on his son. He says he loved them to the end. You guys need a Lord that would love you to the end? Till it's accomplished, till it's done? We mess up down here a lot. That's true of pastors too. True of us. I remember, I tell this story sometimes, but I was in the youth group. Kevin was the youth pastor, and I remember him saying to me once, he says, Brandon, pastors have all the lame excuses not to read the Bible that everybody else has. True, right? We all, we, all, we all struggle. We all don't. We're not where we should be sometimes. We, we, we go back and forth and we sin and we hurt each other. And yet, he loves us till the end. Look at, could flip with me to 16, verse 33. We'll find this word again. 1633, I kind of included 33 just because it's encouraging, but I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus, which, which that's, when is he going to overcome the world? He's about to be crucified, right? And yet he set his stone, like he says, I, I'm, it's going to happen, like I'm going to, I'm overcoming the world. Verse 17, or chapter 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is him praying. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That word accomplished in verse 4. Jesus says, I've accomplished the work. I've accomplished it. Everything. He lived a perfect life. He had confronted the, the pride of the Pharisees. Everything that the Lord had for Jesus to do, he had done perfectly. Right? This is where in the book of Hebrews, right? He was without sin. 
Jesus was without sin. Everything had been accomplished up to that point. He had accomplished the work. So he loved him to the end. He had finished the work. Now go over to chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's the same word. It is finished. He loved them to the end. He accomplished the work. And at the cross, he said, it's finished. He accomplished redemption for us. What kind of Lord is this? All of you, you've probably been fired at one point or another. Or someone said, no, nah, we're done with you. Get out of here. Maybe some of you have felt that treatment in your own family. Or maybe some of you have felt that from a close friend or whatever. Where, where they've just said, I'm done. I'm done. There is no point at which our Lord will do that. There's no point in which he will do that. Where he would look at us and say, I'm done with you. He says, I've done, I will love you. I love them to the end. I've accomplished the work. And on the cross, he said, it's finished. It's finished. Isn't that the great thing about the gospel? Because again, if it was up to us, I mean, we wouldn't make it to the end. We probably wouldn't even make it to the starting line, right? I wouldn't even come out of the locker room. I'd just be like, nah, this is overwhelming. No, thanks. He made it for us. He did all that for us. So we have a Lord who washes our feet. A Lord who prepares a place for us. All this is backwards in the eyes of the world. A Lord who calls us friends. And a Lord who loves us to the end. And so when we talk about finding our place with Jesus as our Lord, it's the best place. <laughs> right? We're not trying to tell you to find a spot that's bad for you. We're not trying to tell you to find a spot and know, well, even if you don't like it, you got to be there. When we say to find our place with Jesus as our Lord... This is the best place. This is, this is the place we should be like, we should, this is why it's good news, right? This is why the apostles went out and said, can you believe this is the kind of master that we have? Forget these Greek gods and Roman gods and little statues and serving your flesh and your selfishness and your lust and your pride. Forget all that. We have good news for you. There is a Lord in this world and he's the best Lord. And so as Christians, man, let's be out there telling people that, right? Let's be out there telling them that, telling them not, not only should you not be your own Lord, not only should the world not be your Lord, not only do you not want to follow the lies of Satan, but we have the best Lord waiting for you, the best one. And so when we're out there with our friends, with our families, with people who don't know Christ, let's say to them, they say, well, well, isn't there a lot of rules with Christianity? Yeah, they're the best. What about that church? There's a lot of sinful people. It's the best. What about Jesus? Isn't it, isn't it like, don't I have to change my life? I'm going to follow Jesus. It's the best. And, I don't, and this is the thing. I can tell you to say that, and you can go out there and fake it. But when we read these chapters, and hopefully when we read all the scriptures, we want to be reminded again and again that we don't have to fake this. <laughs> Jesus is the best Lord. I don't usually just read stuff, but I wrote, I wrote down this conclusion. We need a Lord who would wash our feet. 
We didn't deserve it. We had caused the filth ourselves, and we had no way to clean ourselves. We were so dirty that nothing else would do, nothing the world could offer, and no person strong enough, and there was no person who could even stomach us. And yet our Lord will wash us. We need a Lord who would prepare a place for us. We didn't deserve it. We haven't earned the right to be his servants, let alone his guests. We didn't even know where to go or how to get there. And even if we did, we're not strong enough for the journey. And yet, our Lord will prepare a place for us and take us there. We need a Lord who would call us friends. We didn't deserve it. We're not good friends to Him. Yet we long for relationship. With all our insecurities, we often wreck relationships. The people of the world let us down, reject us, use us. And yet our Lord will be our friend. We need a Lord who would love us to the end. We didn't deserve it. We fail. We sin again and again. We take advantage of his grace. We are at best unworthy servants, and yet our Lord will love us. That's the kind of Lord we have. I want to ask you, is Jesus your Lord? We've spent four weeks now talking about his power in creation and how he humbled himself to save us and how he can set all our relationships in the proper order and how good he is. But is he your Lord? I'm not, I'm not asking, did you say a prayer when you were five? That doesn't save anybody. I'm not asking, has your church attendance been good? That doesn't save anybody. I'm not asking if you have Christian on your profile, on Instagram or Facebook, and if you reshare all those things that people say you have to reshare. That definitely doesn't save anybody. Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? There's been a going thought in our culture for a long time now that you can have one and not the other. I can follow, that. I'll call Jesus my Savior, but you don't receive him as Lord. I want to tell you, that's not biblical. It's not. You repent and you believe. You receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Right? You take him for who he is. You take him for what he said. And so maybe you've been playing games with God. Maybe you've been doing some pretend thing where you think you have a get-out-of-hell-free card or you think you've gone to church or you think you're good enough. If you think you're good enough to get into heaven, that's a surefire way to know that you're not and that maybe you don't know the gospel. Right? And so I want to encourage you to think about that today as we wrap up. I've tried to show you just cherry-pick some of my favorite, best things to think about Christ. You could read the whole New Testament. It would be wonderful. If you don't know Christ, if you're not sure about that, if you're not sure that you would go to heaven, if you're not sure what it means that he would be your Lord and Savior, if you did say a prayer when you were five, but life's been up and down since then, and you're not sure where you're at with him, come talk to one of us. Come find an elder. Come find a Christian friend. Come find someone who will take you to the scriptures that you might know that he is your Lord and that he has a place for you and that he will take you to be with him. All right, would you guys pray with me? God, thanks for the sweetness of your word. Lord, I don't do it justice. Um, 
it's been sweet this week, God, just to spend time in these passages and to remember your goodness and how, how just mind-blowingly different you being our Lord is than any other concept we have of, of, a, of a Lord. And so, God, I pray that our hearts would rejoice, that we would remember that you are the best Lord in the universe. You are the best Lord for us. God, that you loved us to the end. Um, God, how wonderful you are to us and how sweet your words to us. How sweet the fact that you would pray for us, that you would comfort us, that you would prepare a place for us, that you would humble yourself for us, that you would serve us. And God, may it cause, you, cause us to love you and to serve you all the more with our whole lives, with every day, every hour. Um, thank you so much for this church, for the opportunity to preach your word. Uh, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.